Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and prayers. It is good to see each of you here tonight. And I guess I begin by saying I'm not real optimistic about the chances of getting through this lesson. I was hoping that my voice would hold out, and for some reason or another, I've been in a coughing fit for the last few minutes, and so I hope and pray that I can get through this lesson, but if I can't, I'll abbreviate it, and uh, we'll pick up here next week. But we do appreciate your presence. Tonight we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. As I said this morning, I apologize for the quality of my voice, the lack of quality. I was hopeful that my voice would be better, and it has uh, steadily grown worse through the day. But nonetheless, we'll do our best to get through the evening service tonight. <clears throat> you and I, we are, we are embarking on a new year. We have just begun 2009. There are a lot of opportunities before us, and as you and I think about the many opportunities before us, we oftentimes need to step back and reflect upon what is needed in our lives so that we might successfully run the Christian race. And so tonight in our study, I want us to think for a moment or two about living a steadfast life in 2009. And I believe in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, there are some characteristics that if implemented into our lives, they will help us to live in such a way so that God will be glorified and so that we might be strengthened. The first thing that I would suggest is, as we look to Acts 2, verse 42, is that the early saints, that is the early disciples, they were steadfast in the pattern. And by that, I would emphasize the fact that they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Note, if you would, what Luke says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, the apostles' doctrine is simply the truth, the word of Almighty God. And Jesus, while he was upon this earth, told the disciples, the apostles, that they would be given the truth and that they would record this truth and thus those of us who live today we are to honor that great truth well the early church they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine in order for you and i to be successful in living the christian life we must follow the apostles doctrine there are two things I want to share with you along these lines, and then I think I'm going to probably have to just shut it down. But first of all, <clears throat> let me suggest that you and I, we need to take to heart the Word of God. I would submit unto you that if you stay in the Word in 2009, the Word will stay in you. On the other side of the coin, if you do not stay in the Word in 2009, the Word will not be in you. Now in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 16, Paul said, Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in your hearts. You and I are to allow the Word of God to find a home 
in our lives. And I like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, 105, when he said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word of God is necessary for us to live in such a way so that we can be pleasing to Almighty God. There are two things I want to encourage you to do as we embark upon this new year. In light of what the early church did, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Number one, I want to encourage you to meditate on the truth of God. Now, inherent in this idea of meditating on the truth of God is study. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you're going to have to spend time in this book. Now, there are some things in this book that require greater depths of study than others. For the most part, the Bible is a very simplistic book to understand. Now, Peter talks about some, some of the things that Paul wrote, and he said that they are hard to be understood. But nonetheless, you and I, if we will take the necessary time to, to simply apply ourselves, to study, to meditate on the truth of God, we will grow as the people of God. The psalmist of old meditated on the law of Jehovah, and he did that both day and night, Psalm 1 at verse 2. And so meditate, study the truth of God. Take the time to read the Old Testament. Romans 15, 4, those things that were written aforetime were written for what? For our learning. There are a lot of great practical truths in the Old Testament. Spend time reading the Old Testament this coming year. I promise you it will bless your life. I love to read and study the Old Testament. I like to preach from the Old Testament because to me there's some great and profound lessons to be learned and gleaned from looking at the Old Testament scriptures. And so read the Old Testament, then the New Testament. Spend time every day reading and studying the great truths of the New, of the New Testament. Maybe isolate one of the narratives of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And go through and read and study the life of Christ. If you want to know more about Jesus Christ, if you want to try to grow closer to him, the best way to do it is spend time in his word reading about him. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Pick out some of the great characters of the Bible. Read and study some of the magnificent characters of the Old and New Testaments. And then also some of the great themes of the Bible. Maybe you want to take a topic and, and study that topic. Maybe it's about the church or about the deity of Christ or about the nature of God, whatever the case may be. But spend time studying the Bible. And so meditate on the Word of God. Number two, I want to encourage you to memorize the Word of God. All of us have been blessed with a brain. And sadly, we do not use the full capacity of our brain power. And one of the great things about the human brain is it retains. And you and I, over the course of time, can memorize a number of scriptures. One of the things that, that we're doing in our, in our class with the young people is we have a list of Bible questions. And these questions are pertinent to, to everyday living, and they're pertinent to, to the church. And inherent in these questions are, are just fundamental facts that all of us should know. Who founded the church? What does a person have to do to become a Christian? What are the five acts of worship? 
Can a child of God apostatize from the faith? These are just some of the basic questions. And the idea behind these questions is we need to know them in our mind. Not you and I as God's people, we do not always have access to the Bible when we're talking to our friends and neighbors. And, and by that, I mean we may be riding in, a, in an automobile with a friend. We may be out hunting or fishing. We may be on the job. We may be on the ball field, and they'll ask us a question. Well, what do you think about this? What does the Bible say about the church? Or why is it that you people don't use musical instruments in your worship to God? Well, you and I, instead of having to go to, to a concordance, instead of having to try to race through the scriptures and find that passage, we need to be able to know it to the extent that we can just rattle it off, store it up in our minds. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 11, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus Christ, when he was, when he was battling the devil, as recorded by Matthew in chapter 4, responded three distinct times by saying, It is written. Now, it doesn't take a lot of time to memorize verses in the Bible. Now, you might ask the question, how can I do this? Well, let me give you a couple of a couple of ideas. <clears throat> Number one, just, just take out a note card and take a passage of Scripture, maybe Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Write that passage down on, an, on a note card and then carry that note card with you or maybe post it on the mirror in the bathroom. Or maybe put it in some place in your home, maybe in the kitchen or wherever, wherever you're, you're passing through from time to time. And every time you pass through, every time you go into the bathroom or whatever, look at that verse. Commit that verse to memory. Now, I would encourage you to memorize a verse every week. Now, it might be the case that you want to memorize one verse every day. You could memorize a verse a day, and in so doing, did you know that by the end of the year, you will have almost memorized the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon? Four books in the New Testament, one verse per day. That's not a lot. I mean, think about all of the time that we spend reading and studying other materials. Just take the Word of God, pick out a verse, memorize it, commit it to memory, go over it, over it over it before you before you know it it's embedded in your mind now the early church they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine that's what you and I need to do stay in the Word of God if you stay in the Word of God I promise you the Word of God will stay in you one of the problems that some some individuals have in their faith is they're not they're not staying in the word enough they're not spending time in the great treasures of God's holy word number two I said I was gonna quit but I'm on a roll so I'll just keep going for a minute <clears throat> number two not only were they steadfast in the pattern that is the Apostles doctrine but they were steadfast in their participation or in their fellowship the word fellowship means joint participation. 
If you want a good definition of a fellowship, look at Acts 2, verse 46. And note, if you would, the word accord. They continued daily with one accord. That's what fellowship is about, accord, joint participation, cooperation. You and I, we are people of like precious faith. The early church, they continued not just in the apostles' doctrine, not just in the faith, but the Bible says they continued in fellowship. What are some components of fellowship? When you think about fellowshipping the people of God, what comes to your mind? Let's just look very quickly at Acts chapter 2 and note what the early church did. The Bible says in verse 46, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So, first of all, you have these people who were fellowshipping one another. Now, no doubt their fellowship consisted of worshiping together on a regular basis, and we'll talk more about that. But here were people who spent time together in one, another's, in one, another, in one another's homes. Here were people that spent time eating together. They were breaking bread together. So you have fellowship and food. Now when you have fellowship and food, what results? Fun. I think about the early church, and I think about these early disciples. And I like to think about, you know, as God's people, we need to be a happy people. We need, we need to be the kind of people that, that enjoy life. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. The wise man said, a merry heart does good like a medicine. You know, there are some folks in our world and there are some folks in the church that need to lighten up and enjoy life, have fun. I mean, enjoy yourself a little bit. One of the byproducts of fellowship is that we can spend time, we can eat together, we can laugh together, we can cry together. We can experience life together. And so you have these people fellowshipping one another, eating food together having fun together, and guess what? Out of all of that, you know what comes, comes about? Friendship. Some of the closest people you will have on this earth are members of the body of Christ. Look at Jesus. Jesus had three very special people in his life. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. In Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, who went with him? Peter, James, and John. When he went to the mount and was transfigured before the apostles. In Matthew 17, who was with him? Peter, James, and John. I believe that Jesus had some close and intimate friends. You and I today, we need friends. We need people that can build us up. One of the great things about fellowship is that we can be together. Let me tell you, the world is a tough place. And I'd hate to think that I had to live isolated from my Christian family. You and I as the people of God, we need to we need to appreciate the time that we spend together. To know that we're building relationships, to know that that we can enjoy spending time with one another. There's a lot to be said for just spending quality time with Christian people. 
Thank God for Christian people. I'm grateful to those of you who are, are members here. I'm thankful for your encouragement, for your support, for your prayers. Think about what Paul said in Galatians 6 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You and I, we're in this thing together. And we're trying to get to heaven. Well, sometimes I need some support. Sometimes I need some encouragement. And so here were people that continued steadfastly, not just in the apostles' doctrine, but also in fellowship. Thirdly, they were steadfast in their praise. And by this we're talking about they were people who were involved in the breaking of bread. And the idea here is that they were, they were steadfast in their worship to God. When we talk about breaking bread, we're, we're really focusing on that, that act of worship called the Lord's Supper which gives us the opportunity to reflect upon the death of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death till he come again. When we engage in worship, we have the opportunity to, to accomplish several things. First and foremost of which is to glorify God. God is the audience. Jesus said... God is spirit. He is the audience. And they that worship him, that would be the assembly, are to worship him in spirit, that's the right attitude, and in truth. That's by the right authority. That is by the word of God. So we worship Almighty God. We bow in the presence of Jehovah God. The word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. What are some things that come about from our worship? I would suggest, first of all, that worship builds or establishes us in the faith. I said just a moment ago that one of the things that we need to try to do in the coming years to grow as a Christian. I promise you, if you're here every time the doors are open, you're going to grow in your faith. If you're listening, if you're taking part in worship, if you're checking the scripture references, if you're trying to to put everything you have into the five acts of worship, you're going to grow in the coming year. And Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Number two, worship blesses or equips us in the faith. One of the beautiful things about preaching and teaching is that, that we hear those things that help to equip us to live in this world. I talked just a moment ago about how sad it would be to think that we were all alone out here in the world. What we need is the right kind of equipment to make it. The Word of God will, will literally bless or equip us in the faith so that we can make it from week to week. I think about people that that come to worship every time the doors are open. And I think about how strong in the faith they are and how they're constantly learning and growing and maturing as a child of God. That's what we want to do. When we, when we preach and teach the Word of God, we're trying to set forth the divine truth of God. 
which is all sufficient. God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so you and I, by the very fact that we're in worship, we have the opportunity to be equipped in the faith. And then finally, I would suggest that worshiping brightens or encourages us in the faith. There are some folks that have a tough time in this world. And I think about people that come to worship services and maybe they have a tough job. Maybe they have a hard life. Maybe they've, they've experienced a lot of adversity. You know, one of the beautiful things about worship is it allows you to free your mind up from the cares of this world. To take your mind off the cares of the world and to focus on things which are spiritual in nature. And really, worship should be a shot in the arm. When you come to worship, when you come to be with the people of God in the presence of God, it ought to build you up. It ought to encourage you so that when you leave here, you can say, listen, I can make it until we meet again. Recharging our spiritual batteries. Now, if you're not here, you're going to miss out. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. If you're not here, I can't be encouraged by your presence. And the same is true. If I'm not here, you can't be encouraged by my presence or lack thereof. And so when I look across the auditorium or the assembly and I see people that I know are hurting or suffering or maybe they're facing trials and tribulations, but I see them in worship and I see them dedicated to the service of Almighty God, it inspires me. And it will inspire you. There's a lot to be, look at the first century church. Here were people that were in a cradle of tribulation and persecution. And yet these people were faithful to Jehovah God. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and then also in prayers. They were steadfast in their prayers. How much time do you spend in prayer to God? One of the things that I love about the early church, they were a praying group of people. I mean, they believed in prayer. And those of us that are children of God, there's something called the availability of prayer. And prayer is available to those of us that belong to the body of Christ day, night, or Sunday. In other words, you and I, we can bow before our Father in prayer anytime, day or night, doesn't matter. Here's what Peter said. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their supplications or their prayers. God wants us to pray. It is a resource. It is a spiritual blessing that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 verse 3. To know that you and I have the availability of prayer. These people were a praying people. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Look at the life of Paul. Paul was a man who prayed for his fellow Christians. Not only did Paul pray for his fellow Christians, he wanted them to pray for him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, Brethren, 
pray for us. Here is an apostle encouraging others to pray for him. Now, if an inspired apostle wanted others to pray for him, surely you and I need to be praying for one another. And we need to be spending time in prayer to God. The availability of prayer, but then also the advantage of prayer. I'm not much of a tennis player, but sometimes you'll, you'll watch a tennis match and when a person is about to win a match or a set, they'll say, advantage, so-and-so. Now, let me tell you, if you're a child of God, if you belong to the body of Christ and you're faithful to the Lord, you have an advantage over the world. And you know what that advantage is? You can pray to Jehovah God anytime, and God will hear your prayers. As a matter of fact, God wants you to pray to him. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. God cares for you. And when I think about the, the rich resources available to me as a child of God to know that I, can, that I can lay my heart before his throne, that I can carry those burdens and those, those difficulties of life before him and lay them out and he'll listen. Let me tell you, that means a lot. You ever tried to talk to somebody that really wasn't interested in, in what you had to say? You ever tried to, you ever, you ever talk to somebody and, and maybe you're trying to tell them uh, about a problem you're having and their eyes are wandering around, they're not looking you in the face, they're not looking you in the eyes and you tell they'd rather be somewhere else? It's aggravating, isn't it? That's not the way God is. No, when you go to God in prayer, you have his undivided attention. God will hear your prayers. God is there for you. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 56. In Psalm 56, 9, the psalmist said, This I know God is for me. God is always in my corner. Not just sometime. God is always in my corner. And so I think about the blessings of prayer. These people were a praying people. Well, my prayer for you is that you'll have a successful 2009. I apologize for the quality of my voice tonight. It's not been much to listen to, I know. And I guess I probably need to apologize for telling you I was going to quit a few minutes ago and then just roar right along. I really did intend to quit, but I seemed to have uh, gotten ahead of steam and so was able to make it through a good bit of the lesson. I appreciate you. And I want you to know that as God's people, the Bible describes us as a family. And you know, when I think about a family, I think about people that love one another, that, that are in this thing together. And we may have disagreements, and we may not always see eye to eye, but you know what? We're a family. We don't walk away from one another. We, we don't turn our backs on one another, but we're always there for one another. In 2009, 
what I want to encourage us to do is to take these characteristics, apply them to our lives. Wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of this, this year we could all say we've grown spiritually? We can grow if we want to. It's up to us. It's within our power. The question is, will we grow? Will we stay steadfast in the faith? Here's what Paul said. Be you steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Stay true to the Lord this year. God will bless you. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, could we encourage you to come to Christ? To believe that he is the son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. John 8, 24. Would you be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others. Matthew 10, verse 32. And then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, 38. If you'll do that, the Lord will add you to the church. Acts 2, 47. And if you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. Revelation 2, 10. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? Why not come back to the Lord? He wants, he wants you to be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could we assist you in any way as we stand and sing for your encouragement?